Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Let's get lit on literature. Woo! (laughs) All right. Well, today is a really, really special episode. Super special. I think this is an episode that's been a few years in the making. (laughs) We're already hearing the giggles. We have a very, very, very special guest with us today. And that's Franklin Sermons, our director, Perez Art Museum Miami's director. So thank you for thank joining you. us. Yay, We're clapping, you. clapping, clapping. Yes, we basically have a art world superstar with us here today. <laughs> uh, Franklin, like we mentioned, has been the director of Perez Art Museum Miami since fall of 2015. Since coming to PAM, he has overseen the acquisition of more than a thousand works of art into our collection and more. He's done so much more. He's really pursued his vision of PAM as a people's museum, representing our eclectic diversity down here with a unique Miami lens. And prior to PAM, he was the department head and curator of contemporary art at LACMA in Los Angeles from 2010 to 2015. We really wanted to have you on to just reflect on this book with us, but also hear more about you. We want to talk about museums. We want to talk about our roles as art professionals. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for a long time now, yeah. and that's How not something we've been? talked about. A couple of years. August and of 21. Yeah. A hot Bravo. minute. Wild. <laughs> this Thank is episode, you. what, 20, 24? 24. So it's something that we've not avoided intentionally, but you felt like the right person to kind of have this conversation with us about our roles within the museum, how we feel like we can move forward as an arts organization, what our roles are, and kind of reflect it back on the book. And of course, hear kind of more personal things, uh, you know, about you, but it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on today. So we're thrilled. It's my pleasure and my honor. I love what you guys do. Thank you. Well, we are big fans. So the book that we're going to be discussing or sort of jumping off of mm-hmm. from today is Between the World and Me by ta Coates, which I know you've read, we've all read, mm-hmm. and it won the National Book Award a few years ago. And we really wanted to talk about this book because, first of all, he's referencing and it's kind of paying an homage to my favorite author of all time, James Baldwin, mm-hmm. in the fact that it's a letter to his son, but also because I was really drawn to the way he talks about education. And it made me think a lot about Mm. what the role of a museum is in that space and how the two can work in tandem. So Mm -hmm. that's really what what I want to dive into. Mm -hmm. But before we do, Alexa, can you give us a preview on the wine? The wine. We have La Fête du Blanc. This is from Donné Burston. He had a rosé that we featured on, I want to say, episode 12. Um, party of two and now he came out with white wine that we're drinking today and we're really excited to showcase it yeah and i feel special because for once i've had the wine before alexa she did so i got the (laughs) vip treatment it's delicious and yeah i mean let's maybe start with just overall thoughts on the book did we enjoy it have we enjoyed the book was it a difficult read any kind of general thoughts Yeah, I really enjoyed the book. I'm glad it was as short as it was because it was really heavy. Yeah. Mm. And it's great in the way that he writes is so detailed and and intricate and complex. And I I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I was going through a few heavy things in my Mm. life while reading it. So it did take me a bit longer than it would have normally have taken because I'm like, this is too much for me right now. Mm. But I I It's not an escape read. No, definitely not an escape (laughs) read. It's like a reality in your face read. That's so true. I mean, in fact, I don't even think I finished it, to be honest. It's tough. Um, Yeah, there are just parts of it that are really tough, like in the same way that, you know, I just got off of um, a Zoom and I was thumbing through my Instagram, as I often do, as a kind of bookmark or a bookend to something. And I came upon like some of the most recent news and I was like, I'm not ready for that right now. Yeah. So I had to turn it off. So, you know, I think there's a pacing that has to happen with a book like this. But what a gem of a book. Can I just say um, really uh, amazing to be with you two engaged in this context. Love what you guys do. Just even, you know, I don't know always appreciated a glass of wine (laughs) and have appreciated books. But I have to say, though, like I have had a reinvigorated um, relationship with books since I don't know when you started the book club or whatever, but 
I've had a reinvigorated relationship with books and it's nice that it coincides with what you guys are doing. So, yeah. Thank you. That actually means like the absolute world to me. I think books and art have the power to heal in so mm -hmm. many ways and they have the power to create what I think is the most important driving force in the world, which is empathy, compassion, understanding. And that's why those things are kind of the first things to be blocked and banned and and especially here yeah Florida. sadly yeah right <laughs> I mean we already dived in there wow that was quick but it's true right and I think that that's one of the reasons why we feel like it just makes perfect sense that we would be doing a book podcast being museum yeah. professionals because every all of this goes hand in hand storytelling is storytelling right yeah that's true the other thing this I'm reminded of with this book in particular though is um the author's kids go to the same school that I grew up going to Oh, really? Yeah. And it's a really special place that privileged books in a big way called Manhattan Country School. Um, so I, yeah, I gravitated to that part of the book, too. Yeah. And that reminds me a little bit of something that that the author writes in the book, which is I would ask all these questions and I would go to my dad and I looked I took I took these questions to my father, who very often refused to answer and instead referred me to books. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so frustrating and annoying, right? That's but so it's the happens. best way yeah. to to kind of develop those critical thinking skills. But for for those of you who haven't read the book, this is a short book yeah. between the world and me that is a is a letter that the author is writing to his son, and it's in some ways a kind of love letter to his son, but also it's about being black in America, being a black man in America, and the history that is often not taught, the history mm -hmm. that some of us aren't taught until much later, or that we seek out on our own mm -hmm. because. I have been forced now over the past few years to rethink what I was taught in school. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who James Baldwin was until I was in college. Right on. That's intentional, right? Like yeah. there's a reason why that's not taught to me until yeah. much later. Mm -hmm. And then your own curiosity kind of has to spark the rest, right? And that's where I think books, museums, and all of that really come into play. We have to, we have to hook people on and then for them to kind of soar and find Definitely. their own voice and find the things that they love. So I do recommend this book as, as we've all said, it's heavy. Yeah. It's tough. Read it when you're in a, in a better place. It is place. a short volume. It is. Very short, short very short, like 140 pages. And it, and it's like actually physically a very small book. So the very 140 small. pages are not mm -hmm. really 140 yeah, pages. Yeah, yeah. But it's packed in there. But it's like, packed. It's, it's packed. packed. Yeah. And and I think, as I mentioned, the the, the, the whole conversation about education really hooked me because I've read this book a few times and every time I read it I focus on something else mm -hmm. or or the news kind of prompts me to interpret the book <laughs> in a different way but this time because of everything that's happening especially in Florida I was thinking about education reflecting on what I have learned and what I haven't been taught mm -hmm. and he starts off the book and this is pretty early page 26 he says mm -hmm. I was a curious boy but the schools were never concerned with curiosity mm -hmm. they were concerned with compliance and that's when I started thinking, okay, mm -hmm. well, what is the museum's role? Because I would like to think that we are concerned with curiosity. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think that's why that's why we all work here. Right. Um, <laughs> because we do have this faith that, that the museum can be a space that is open for curiosity mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Even in a contemporary sense, and, and I, I'm thinking of this in terms of time in some ways, because I was in a conversation earlier that was about my initial experiences in the museum space were probably first in Museum of Natural History, where they, you know, you want to think for millennia, and then to think through encyclopedic museums like a metropolitan for me growing up in New York um, was a way to then think a little bit closer to your own time. Um, within the space of the contemporary, we get to talk and touch on everything. And even if you're talking about the past, you're talking about it in the present. And so there has to be some sort of structure or apparatus that allows for you to do that. And I think contemporary art is most open for those kind of conversations. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, as, as, as a curator, I think I'm always thinking about, well, what story can I tell, right? Mm -hmm. And how can the art help bridge that connection between sure. me, the artist, the viewer, the moment that we're in, the moment the work was made, right? Like there's so many bridges yeah. that exist and that it's our responsibility to kind of show and hand over to the viewer. And, and right? be honest and say, you know, no, I don't necessarily have answers. Yeah. Right. 
um, yeah. your questions and, and your, everybody's question that comes from that experience is super valid, is, is, is all part of what makes the conversation a real conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wonder, we're thinking about exhibitions, right? Like, mm. as we're planning exhibitions, we're thinking about the community. Mm. And Alexa, you're thinking about how to create that bridge, market it to that community, bring them. Yeah bring them over to us and make them feel exactly and make them feel like this place belongs to them. Right. How do you see museums moving forward? Like what kind of exhibition programming, what kind of tips and advice would you have to create that or or strengthen that bridge, so to speak? I mean, I've, I've always come from a very sort of simplistic space. And, and I think that in some ways it's an older conversation in terms of a discussion on modern and contemporary art that says that there is a popular cultural aesthetic, for lack of better words, right? That if we look at things through the lens of popular culture, which of course means everything, mm-hmm. it means our screens, it means music, dance, books, then that there's a connecting point for all of us to... Um, you know, to speak a language that we all are somewhat familiar with. And the best thing, like when I'm reminded of saying speaking a language, is that for the most part, we're talking about a visual experience or a bodily experience. Who can't relate to that? I mean, language can be used in many different ways, but one's, I don't know, I think there's something more, I don't know, there's something more democratic to us coming to a work of art than there is to us coming to a a certain book, even in translation. Yeah. Well, I mean, language is like kind of the great equalizer Mm -hmm. in a way, in the sense that it's an entry point everybody can dive into. Mm -hmm. You can interpret it differently. You can read it differently, Mm -hmm. but it's something we can all go, okay, well, I can do that. I can give it a shot. I can do my best to try and kind of (laughs) project my, you know, own feelings onto it and hopefully use it as a self-reflective tool at, at yeah. the very least, right? Yeah, and I think, well, there's something you asked, I mean, about about how exhibitions as a medium or a form can be um, used as a tool of communication, of course, with art being the core of it, is different ways, is, is experimenting, is doing something different. I was, I was kind of in a rush the other day and walking with somebody trying to get them through the building and Angela was doing her thing. And, mm-hmm. and so we ended up, waylaying over to a conversation with Angela about her artwork. And it was way more interesting and important than anything we were talking about anyway, because it was this like one-on-one experience that this person had in the museum space that they were literally left me like, what was that? You know, like I just had an experience in a museum I've never had before talking with an artist. So like we can, I think there are different ways to think about our approach sometimes you know, people have a different experience when they come out of uh, Ehrlich right now and they turn yeah. to the left and there's like two people sitting there with a table with stuff stuff all over <laughs> it. Like, it's different. Yeah, it is different. Why not? <laughs> and it is making all those different entry points for different types of visitors. So yeah. Some visitors want to just stroll in on their own, stand and read each and every label and interpret everything on their own. Absolutely. But then there's others who want to walk in and be welcomed almost like like Disney World vibes. Totally. Like, here I am, here's an, a Pam teaching artist like Angela yeah. sitting there with her craft, making art, showing you her practice and engaging you in that way. Totally. And then there's some that just want to scan QR codes and look at the app. So there's many different entry Absolutely. points here. Absolutely. That's the best part. Yeah, and, and we do have to cater to all of it. It's such a fine balance, right? We have to allow ourselves to grow with what our visitors are also asking us for. But that's that's the that's the fun that's balance. Because yeah. like, yeah, you can't get it perfect, but in trying, that's how you have something for everyone. Like, I mean, I worked at the Manil collection and it's very defined. We are not going to tell you anything. There is a label, it has the artist's name and the name of the piece and the year it was created and nothing more. There are no text <laughs> panels, <laughs> none of that. That gives me anxiety. <laughs> whenever, whenever I see that, I freak out. I'm like, how am I supposed to interpret That's this? That's how I feel now. <laughs> oh my God. That's how I feel now. And it's in one language. No kidding. <laughs> it's true though. I walked into the gallery yesterday and I wasn't prepared and 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 I, I did, forgot that we were t- taking out one piece and putting in two others. And I was like, oh, there's no interpretive messaging here. What's happening? Ah! 
<laughs> that happened to me today, actually. I walked into that gathering and I was like, oh, Virginia's gone. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, okay. Totally. Like, we just kind of forget. I mean, we we sort of live among these artworks. Yeah. And yeah. this Expect is a really things. weird, please do not judge me for this, but like when I walk into the museum mm-hmm. and I go into the galleries and I'm alone, I'm like, good morning. <laughs> the artwork, I feel like they... Good morning. They're like alive. have been there that long, too. Good morning, yes. 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 Yeah, yeah, for yes. real, you know it's there. They're they're like an ex- they're an extension of the artist, but they're also they're yeah. like living, breathing things to me in this weird way, where I feel like they have created so many experiences for me, and 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 moments where I've been able to connect with other people. Right. And I actually this happened to me like a few years ago, right when we put up the Teresa Margoyes, mm. and this is a really beautiful piece of handmade clay bricks made from clay from both sides of the Rio mm. Grande, and it references you know the people who have crossed the river, immigration, things like that. And I remember having a conversation with this guy I was giving a tour to, and he was he wasn't really that into it. And then I and then I got a little personal because I was like, I'm gonna win him over. Like, I, I couldn't I couldn't hold back. And I was like, well, you know, like for me that. as as a daughter of immigrants, you know, I think of immigration very differently, being, you know, here mm-hmm. in Miami and I look at this piece, whatever. I don't even remember what I said at this point, but he he looks at me and he goes, I wouldn't have gotten that from the label and I probably would have brushed this off. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's that's it right there. That's yeah. the connection. You could have brushed the label off, but you couldn't brush me off. Right. And mm-hmm. we were Sorry, dude, but I forced you to have a really human moment with me. And he appreciated it. And he was like, I, I get it now. Like, it, it means something different to me now. And I was I like, that's, that's really all that this is about. That's, yeah. all, I, that's all I want, really, when yeah. I tour. It's not always that magical. But when it is, it is. Yeah. You know? I hear you. It's hard. When yeah. I don't get yeah. that, though. You're like, come on. Yeah. Come on. No, Just no, no. Get on the hook, please. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, one of the other things that this book is very much touching on mm. is the idea of history, what is taught to you, what is not taught to you. What is common history? What are the things that are left out of that history? Mm. And one of the examples that I usually give is, well, when you're in school, everyone learns about the Mayflower, right? Yep. The most famous boat ship in history. But no <laughs> one learns about the White Lion. Right. The white, the white line lion. was the very first mm. boat that came here with the first enslaved Africans. Mm. Right. And people don't learn don't about the white lion, name, yeah. but they know about the Mayflower. Right. Everyone so does. Yeah. exactly. So <laughs> I was like, OK, that is such a perfect kind of like metaphor for so many of the things that aren't taught. And there yeah. is a certain shame, I think, a collective shame in, in our country where we don't want to learn those things or teach them yeah. because we feel like, oh, man, confronting it means confronting our present. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because We'd rather stay that's ignorant. Happened, exactly. <laughs> everything bliss. that's happened is still happening. happening yeah. Right. It's still very much that conversation continues. And and Tanahase Coates does such a great job mm. of creating that bridge, even though this book is personal, it's not a history book at all. But there is a quote that I wanted to kind of read and and, and reflect with you with mm. you two on it and says, slavery is not an indefinable mass of flesh. It is a particular, specific enslaved woman whose mind is active as your own, whose range of feeling is as vast as your own, who prefers the way the light falls in one particular spot in the woods, who enjoys fishing where the water eddies in the nearby stream, et cetera, et cetera. This, this, This individual, right, we forget that it's individuals that make up a community, mm-hmm. make up our history. Yeah. And thinking about that, reflecting on that, I also think of the way that we work with artists, that we work with each other, the individual stories that are told. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Franklin, how do you see museums, exhibitions, curators, you can take it in any kind of angle you want, mm-hmm. but how do you see us filling in those historical gaps, even as a contemporary art museum? Mm. That's interesting. That is it's tough. Uh, that is a challenge. Yeah. I think, well, we don't shy away from the challenge. We just try to figure out ways in which to do it on our own terms. Like, for instance, you and I and maybe a couple other people have been talking about the concept of America. Not that it isn't something that has been visited here because it has been. We opened with an exhibition that had an element that was dedicated to Americana. Americana mm-hmm. yeah. So we have thought about it in our own institutional sense. But we're also thinking about it very much in a contemporary sense. Um, you helped spearhead a, an acquisition of a work that was specifically about January 6th. It's a big, big, important part of our contemporary moment. Likewise, you know, we, we have a painting that is about the, not protest, but the, the kind of calls for uh, being recognized that were part of, I guess, the post 
um, I don't even know what post, what post. Oh, the George, are you talking about post the, George the, the Eddie, the Eddie Arroyo? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That painting. Um, so, so there are these things that are there and we're thinking about ways in which to deploy them in order to talk about a very specific historical moment that is still under, still under, uh, reckoning in right. some yeah. ways, yeah. right. Or at least some people see it one way and some people see it a completely different way. Right. So I think there are, there are those types of ways to do that. And then there are also the programmatic ways in which we choose to do that by bringing people in to have conversations that can often be more specific than, say, the actual work of art may lend itself to in a visual sense. And that happens across the board all the time where, I mean, we had it, you know, with Teresita, most especially kind of prominent with our Teresita Fernandez exhibition, where the artist was so vocal about the relationship to what might appear to be abstract work at first Mm -hmm. to its relationship to very specific historical uh, moments in time. So that's one way that we also enter into that conversation. I think it's nonstop. Yeah. I mean, it is nonstop. We're about to have a talk in a couple months with a woman who is, I believe, in her early 70s and was photographed making pictures in the 1970s and very specifically, you know, pictures about people in other places around the world. I mean, there's a whole conversation. So it's like it's a it's a living, breathing kind of thing. And depending upon who, who we three are within this museum structure at any given time, we do it a little bit more, a little bit less. But it's always something that's there. Yeah. yeah. And it is a challenge, too, given that we're a nonprofit museum. It's like oh, yeah. we have to have these challenging conversations and and these artworks on the walls but it's not you can't really lean one way or the other you just need to basically put the story out there and let others interpret it the way they wish right for sure they can fight it out yeah yeah we're just there to provide the kind of backdrop (laughs) yeah for sure but i think that's that's like the we we do have the you know back to that question of why we work in museums there is this kind of humanist thrust to Mm -hmm. the museum project that i think we prescribe to and I think, you know, sometimes I think about it now. It's like, why would anybody want to be anti-humanist? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and yet, and clearly, yeah. there you are. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I mean, everything that you were just saying also makes me think, like, well, history is also now. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. In yes. two ways. The January 6th painting, for example, you know, eventually that will be, it already is, history. So yeah. the fact that we chose to acquire that work, we are cementing that. Right in the history of our institution, and we're making sure that it is safe and conserved for generations to come. One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. That's a huge part of our responsibility. One hundred percent. I mean, you, you know, you talked a little bit about immigration. I think one of the most poignant symbols of the institution that we have is the work of Alfredo Jar, um, mm-hmm. whose uh, map of the Americas. I mean, you know, where he says America, right? Yeah. And most people would say that's not America. That's, right. Canada and Mexico and the United yeah. States. But we know that there's a different um, way. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Re- rethinking the, the 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 way that we think about the word America. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, sure. I gave a talk at NADA and I got called out. She did. Because I, I said, I, I know, I was like, well, not man. for you, for the man in the straw hat calling you yeah, out. Yeah, I was like, like man, I was like, I don't deserve this. I was like trying to be really positive, you know. <laughs> and I said, I'm both Nicaraguan and I'm American. And sometimes I feel this really weird pull where I feel uh-huh. like I have to be perfect in both, right? And then he raises his hand and he was like, you said that you're Nicaraguan and that you're American, but wouldn't you say that American means that like you would be just from like the Americas? And I was like, all right, then what, what, what demonym would you prefer I use? I just threw it back at him because I was like, I I know that you're right, but I also don't, the language isn't there yet. Right. I mean, what other word am I going to use? I'm United Statesian. Like what would you prefer that (laughs) I say? Right. So like that was my, my conflict. And I was like, man, like I, even when you try really hard, like they're still gonna call your ass out. <laughs> but I know I'm not gonna say that again. No. Or follow it up with I know that this isn't the right way. Right, exactly. But it's the way like, that we have now. That's funny. Here we go again. You know what I mean? Like it's it's tough. But I mean this this concept of history happening now mm. is not just through the acquisitions and you know, through the fact that we're we're kind of cementing history in our in our own way but also the fact that history 
creates the now, right? Yeah. And we have upcoming exhibitions that specifically talk about oh, yeah. this, right? And the two that I'm immediately kind of thinking of are the exhibition with Kalita Rawls and with mm. Gary Simmons, right? Mm. Like touching on issues that are obviously incredibly difficult, but but really touching on the way that history affects us today and communities that have been generally either left out mm. of the of, of the narrative or that are struggling today because they have been forced to struggle in the yeah. past, right? So much has been taken away from them. Right and I, I, I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on what what people can expect from mm -hmm. exhibitions like these and why they're so important to our mission and vision. And then relating it kind of back to that idea of we're also here to present history to you in the way that we feel is important right now. Mm -hmm. But we, yeah, like you have mentioned, we are here to provoke questions. I think whether those are questions of aesthetic beauty or not, right? You know, like, ooh, that's really beautiful to my eye or not so beautiful to someone else's eye. We are here for that. Like, I'm, we're genuinely curious as to how one person sees something and another sees something quite different. And I think that then has a metaphorical value that allows for us to apply it to much bigger questions, shall we say. So in the case of um, of Kalita, for instance, we're dealing very specifically, and because you guys have chosen to deal specifically with a history that has a relationship, not just to America, but to Florida and to Miami even specifically. Um, but yet it is, again, another universal humanist question. People are, uh, we're, 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 not, we're clear, we're so far from being perfect as humans that it's not even funny. But there was an instance in South Africa, of all places, only two months ago, in which people were trying to remove other people who didn't look like them from a pool. Um, it's not like it's over and it's not right. like it yeah, yeah. doesn't exist elsewhere. It can be such a poignant metaphor for elsewhere. And yet, when you're looking at it and you're standing in front of Biscayne Bay, then it also has a, a powerful resonance to it um, that is part of the strength of the work itself, I think. Yeah. Um, Gary is dealing with a plethora of images that have so much to deal with mediated imagery. And obviously we all are so accustomed to social media and to images like this and super fast and multitudinous. Um, but we've always had that to some extent. So mm -hmm. for Gary, it's the history that when he was a little kid and he would come home from school, you watch cartoons. I watched cartoons. You didn't have a pick. My daughter comes home and she watches whatever she wants because she <laughs> knows that she can pull it up on the cable thing yep. or whatever it is and say, I want to watch this show right now, regardless of what time it is. That's true. Imagine that. Yeah. When I came home at four o'clock, you had to watch <laughs> Tom and Jerry and then you could watch Batman at five o'clock. You can't just watch it when you want. Right. And so for Gary, he's, he came home and he watched cartoons. And in those cartoons, a lot of them were Walt Disney cartoons. A lot of them were cartoons that were built off of history but also off of stereotypical histories mm -hmm. yeah and so in a beautiful way he's kind of come up with this conceptual uh gesture of erasing but there's a trace that always remains which is a great metaphor for yeah. who we are where we are now it's amazing that reminds me a little bit of music too because I, when i was growing up mm. there was the radio and i grew up listening to disco music because my mom loves disco mm -hmm. music right now you can play certain songs and like Gen Zers won't know it because they have no they've clue. Grown up being able no to choose clue. exactly what to listen to. And I'm like, oh my M God, MTV I told no me what I wanted to listen yeah. to. That's I was what at I... home at four o'clock to watch TRL every day and it was the same 10 music videos, but I didn't care. It was the highlight of my day because <laughs> I had no choice. That's what was being, you know, fed to me. But that kind of brings me to the question of, you know, we're able to create our own bubbles, mm. right? Like yeah, we watch certain true. news cycles yeah. that reinforce oof, either our own oof. values or that's I mean, so true and that's the tough part right because as as a museum as a curator as a director we're we're thinking about how we can break that to a certain extent right yes. like we're 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 here to provide you with an experience that will hopefully open your mind open your heart hopefully get you to connect with other people yeah i mean does that worry you the fact that every day things become that much more 
I can I can just pick my own yes you know the information yeah, yeah, yeah. I can cherry pick my own information so to speak. Yeah, I think it makes our space more interesting potentially in that it is and we are blessed to have obviously whatever 15 galleries and so you can do really different things and hopefully you know some you know not everybody responds to everything but hopefully there's something that they respond to um we also are dictating in some ways um what we want people to see but i think that it is a dynamic kind of thing where hopefully i mean we're also listening to yeah what what it is people say they want to see and although yeah. we don't pivot immediately yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we are engaged yes mm-hmm. we don't pivot immediately but we definitely are listening just yeah well i mean the pivoting immediately also i think is just not possible given how museums work i mean we work yeah, kind no. of longer <laughs> you know we no. listen, but we're like okay we're planned out for two years so like circle back in two years and we'll maybe provide that 2027 <laughs> Maybe we can fit you in. We try to work as far, you know, as far out as we can. But that also, it it brings me back to the programming thing that you were talking about, right? Like, we can be responsive to a certain extent, but sometimes programs are really what help do that. And the education department is really good at that, that they know exactly how to take what's happening and make a conversation around it, create something that will allow for all of us to be engaged. and. And I, to this day, can't thank you enough for allowing me the opportunity and the education department to give me the opportunity to talk about what happened after the overturning of Roe. I mean, that was so important. It was obviously focused, you know, with an artist and we were talking about artwork. And, you know, I thank Antonio Wright for joining me on that. But Mm -hmm. we can be responsive quickly, but we also are slow in other ways. We have to create that kind of balance, right? If not, it just it feels... It would almost feel like too much if we were just constantly reacting. Yeah, no, you can't. Do no, it. you can't. You can't do it. Plus, we were we're in a position where we want to we want some distance. We want to be a little bit nuanced. We want to be thoughtful in a way that a gallery might not be. Um, we want to take that time, and although we want to remain, you know, relevant and topical in the moment, I think we got to accept some distance from that too. Yeah. Um, in order to. Uh, have the kind of level-headed response that we want to see and not necessarily the response that is more akin to Twitter or, you know, immediate What's out there, yeah, exactly. Something more thoughtful and more in line with our our mission and vision here. Yeah, more more nuanced. Yeah, way more. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I also want to pivot to something a little more personal, but... The book is, as we mentioned, a letter yeah. to his son. And I'm wondering, I mean, you're raising this beautiful young girl. Mm. And I wonder just if you can talk to us about how this book, maybe if it helped you reflect in any way on your relationship mm. with the conversations that you have with your daughter and mm. and the education and just anything, because I feel like this is the kind of right, the book to ask you about your, mm. you know, your relationship. Life. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm, uh, this is my opportunity to get personal with my boss. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No. Come on. Every 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 writer you respect, or every artist you respect, or musician you respect, as a parent, you're curious as to how they are as a parent. So it's in this case, it, it definitely is something that not a not a blueprint, but a reminder a really helpful reminder and a kind of support system in a way, because you see the questions that he's asking, the concerns that he has are part and parcel of, uh, I share, I share those things, especially, you know, not especially, let me not say especially, because there are different concerns for a young boy than there are for a young girl. There Mm -hmm. there just are. Um, But I have concerns and, and it also is just one of those things where, where you guys know, um, just from your own families. I mean, love is love. And, and and when it's familial love, it's a very powerful thing. So to hear somebody write about that and to be able to reflect from the standpoint, again, of knowing where those kids are in school and having been in the same place, um, was it was very poignant for me. I'm actually reading this book of poetry right now by a guy named Clint Smith, which is a series of poems that are all written to his daughter, who in this case is like maybe two years old at this point Aww. or something. So it's it's kind of it reminds me of that. Yeah, that's so sweet. And do, do you feel that 
Stella, does she have the, the same interest in art that you have? No. Not at all. She's no, I think direction. she did exactly what I would do. Um, she grew up surrounded by art and artists and like from the time she could crawl like literally couldn't walk and was in the museum crawling <laughs> so crawling around artworks so there was that and i'm not surprised at her response at all she loves volleyball she loves she loves sports i give it to her she's an avid reader but she doesn't want to i mean she doesn't think about it in an art space yeah all. yeah right not anymore nah, not at all yeah. Uh, it's the same one. For me, my, my mother worked in healthcare. My father worked in healthcare. And I ran from healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I know Stella and I The complete that. opposite. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't grow up around art. I mean, my no, parents me are either. not in art. I mean, it's just something that I took a great art history class in high school. And that deviated my entire path. Really? Yeah. Wow. I had a great art history teacher in high school. High school. High school. Yeah. You won't get that these days. No, you will not. <laughs> you will not. But it was amazing. And then I thought, okay, well, I can I can study this. I was like, this is a real major. I can it's just look at painting. I, I was like, to me, it was like such a luxury. I was like, this can't be real. This has got to be a scam. And then I was like, oh, no, this is a real major, and I can actually enjoy myself. And every single day can be a journey for me. And that's why you know, I moved to Europe and all of that. But yeah. I brought it all back with me to the city that, you know, that raised me to the yeah. city that I felt I had to leave because it didn't have the opportunities <laughs> that I wanted. But it has since grown into something completely different. I don't even recognize yeah, it vastly. sometimes. And now I feel like I can come back and I can I can give back to that city. But yeah. but you came to Miami and I think Miami welcomed you warmly, I would like to yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah, I think so. Right? <laughs> For the most part, yeah. For the most part. Yeah. No, but it's just funny to think of... The, that like origin type thing you're thinking of, because I definitely came to that moment later. Um, like having been exposed to art and artists, like didn't think anything about it. It was kind of like whatever afterthought. Um, but then figuring out that wow, this is the thing that turns me on in the same way that like sport does or or books do. Because um, my whole first like I worked in publications for the first ten years of my career, not as a curator at all. Uh, right. It was about writing and scholarship and teaching. So it was definitely like I felt more comfortable in that space until then. Um, but yeah, no, Miami has been it's been it's been great. It's been yeah. great in that sense. And obviously what a weird time. I guess you could say that about the last <laughs> about how 50 many years? something years oh here. God. Maybe you could say that about a really long time here, but it really does feel that way. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be alive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a What's, terrifying one, but yeah. Sure. Like, what was the, uh, the the Venice Biennial like a couple times ago or a few times ago? It was called May You Live in Interest Time. Interesting. <laughs> it's like some sort of proverb. Yeah. Oh, we do. Yeah, especially here it in really Florida. Is. It really is. You're absolutely right. Uh, I kind of feel like I grew up in in like in high school. I wonder if this. Speaking of children, I wonder about this moment sometimes. But like when I was in high school, like. There was a serious conversation about what if somebody hits the button and there's a nuclear war. Oh, like it was right. a real thing. Yeah, like, yeah, there yeah. Were, like TV yeah, yeah. shows For about sure. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, you wonder about that in the context of now. And I think we've stopped thinking that way. But then again, now we're back to thinking. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's like a different. Yeah. Like I remember in Florida, they're always like, "Oh well, if the terrorists come, right. we're near Turkey Point and Florida's gone." So it was like that mindset. But sure. now it's just like. Well, you know, if there's an active shooter in your school, like it's a different conversation, but very simple. There's always that fear right. kind of. That sucks, but it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And it's unfortunate that it's, it's just true. in that same, it's just a it's replaced fear. Damn, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I think that comes with every generation. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a different a, thing. Yeah, the, 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 the right. button to the nuclear war mm -hmm. just becomes a different button to something else. Yeah. And then we're all just sitting around terrified. All the time. <laughs> All the time. And we laugh with a little tear. <laughs> I know. I'm always... I, like I the laugh emoji. So I don't cry. Like the emoji. Oh, I love you guys. <laughs> I laugh so I don't you gotta cry. Have, yeah, you gotta... I mean, come on. You gotta have some resilience somehow. But, you know, I think that because that's how we are, mm. I think it makes perfect sense that we're in the profession that we're in because sure. it brings us hope. 
Yeah. Sure. It brings us this inherent hope that things either can get better or that we have the power to at least make them a little better or that we can open up hearts and minds. I mean, Mm -hmm. to me, being in the arts, whether that's museum spaces or books or whatever it may be, I think that you're in like the most human profession that exists. Yeah. You know, and and that's why I think it just kind of makes sense that if we all do feel that way, it's because we're paying attention. True. And we have to release that in some way. And I, I'd like to think I do it through obviously this podcast, but also through my shows and through the writing. Mm-hmm. And For it sure. just has to be that way. If there's no release, I mean, I, I would be a crazy person. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I already sure. am a little bit, but it would be well, you much, be a little bit. much, yeah, you gotta, if not, there's, there's no fun. No, there's no fun. <laughs> but it's also like, I mean, you guys are pretty obviously examples of it, but you, you also have to have a leveling effect elsewhere, right? Like, because it takes a certain energy when you're in the space of trying to be open, optimistic, cultivate a humanist approach. So like the things that you guys are doing, I mean, and, and, with the podcast, I mean, and things that are outside of your yeah. everyday work is super important. Yeah. Got to have that. Like yeah. if I didn't have, if I didn't play tennis, I'd probably lose my mind. It's true. We yes. all have our thing. Yeah. You gotta have you gotta, <laughs> you have, gotta have you gotta have your thing. Yeah. 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 And 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 rest. To get yeah, slowing down. Right. Slowing down Definitely. and rest no longer being seen as a luxury, but instead as a divine a really human right. And that's the only way that we can be who we are. I, I don't like to say that we rest to recharge because the rest is not there to make us more productive. The rest is yeah. there just for the sake of rest. That's great. And that's a hard point to yeah. make in a hyper-capitalist society. I was going to yes, say, it can I was be. Gonna say here, it's tough. <laughs> uh, especially. Yeah. yeah. Rest is resistant. Rest is resistant. Well, Franklin, we can't thank you enough oh, for, for joining us and for reflecting on this book and for opening up about you know, your role as museum director and upcoming shows and just everything you've shared with us today. We are eternally grateful. No, I'm grateful. Thank you, guys. And cheers to you. I look forward to that. We can do this again in like a year. Perfect. We'll let you pick the book. Cheers. And this is wonderful. It's great. So I'm really excited to grab this La Fête du Blanc because like I mentioned earlier, we had their rosé for Party of Two, episode 12. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out. So what was the book? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no worries. Party of Two, it It was was a love story. Yeah, it was a romantic comedy about this lawyer and this senator. Yeah. And we went into this really deep, intense <laughs> analysis of the prison industrial complex. Because of course oh, wow. we would take a romantic comedy and turn and it into a conversation <laughs> about the <laughs> prison industrial complex. But we did well, he feature, was a prosecutor. He exactly okay. he okay. was a prosecutor, so, so I had thoughts. <laughs> All right. So we did feature the rose <laughs> version of this wow. wine. So <laughs> Awesome. Since then, since back then, uh, Donna Burston, who created La Fête uh, du Rosé and du Blanc, has created this white wine from Côte de Provence. Um, and we spoke about um, Donna a lot last time, but I'll just give you a little bit of background. He did not have any training in wine. He was very much tech and engineering and IT. And then he he just ran with it and went into the alcohol industry. He worked on the promo side of a bunch of iconic brands before joining LVMH. And he's worked with tons of recognizable brands mm. like Dom Perignon, Veuve Clicquot, Belvedere Vodka, and more. And then eventually, around 2009, he debuted La Fête du Rosé, who was finally born after several trips going to France, meeting with different winemakers and and creating this blend that suited him. And with that brand, he really wanted to promote inclusivity and diversity. When you think of rosé, you think of like white wasps in the Hamptons in their Lily Pulitzer drinking rosé. Like you don't think of like people like me and you, you know? So like, so he wanted to create a rosé. That's great. That's great. Uh, That was very inclusive. And you saw, you know, black and brown people, young people, old people, all sorts of people enjoying just like delicious wine and not having to compromise on it. 
since then, since we last had his rosé, it's really blown up. Mm -hmm. He made history in spring of 2021 by becoming the first black and minority-owned business that Constellation Brands ever invested in. So Constellation Brands has Corona, Svedka, Modelo, like major brands, and he's part of it now. And in 2022, the brand welcomed NBA great Chris Paul as an equity partner. So there's a lot of traction behind his brand. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of investments, and it's just really blown up. He's amazing with philanthropy, too. He's given back to uh, the Roots Fund and All Abroad. Um, these two organizations fight for racial injustice and secure pathways for people to get into the wine or travel industries. And actually, the sommelier who gave me the sample, Raymond Scholes from Michael's Genuine Group, he is at the Royal Vines. <laughs> Find him. I will link him in the bio. He is amazing. And he actually has gotten scholarships from the Roots Fund. So, um, amazing, amazing organizations to give back to. And it's just, I feel like um, that's part of the sustainability in wine too. Not only taking care of the land mm -hmm. and, and the grapes and the vines, but also taking care of the people in the industry and making sure they are respected as well. So the domain where this grape is grown, these grapes, it's three different grapes are grown, are committed to sustainable agriculture, the environment, and the protection of nature. It was actually awarded the zero pesticides label in uh, 2016. Hmm. And this one is actually produced in partnership with Chateau Saint-Maur. Look at it. Let me know. Where? Did I do it right? <laughs> where, where, where? Saint-Maur. Saint-Maur. Yeah, I know. It's such an... Saint-Maur. <laughs> And it's one of only 18 Cru Classe estates in Provence, situated in the iconic Gulf of Saint-Tropez. So this wine, when I saw the blend, I found it really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's very typical of, of the south of France, but I just hadn't really had it all that much. It's um, Uni Blanc, uh, Colombard, and Roule, Roule, which is actually Vermentino. Yeah, let's just say, mm. yeah. Vermentino. So... Um, and then Ugni Blanc is Trebbiano. So it's funny that these grapes also grow in Italy, too. They're just called right. different names. So I find those kind of geeky things fascinating. Um, <laughs> but we talk about fermentation. The vinification here is in 100% stainless steel. It's a low-temp fermentation and cold maceration. And it creates a really delicately floral, beautiful wine. So it's our favorite time of the podcast to taste the The wine. tasting portion. <laughs> Not really that we good. haven't been yeah, tasting yeah, yeah. the whole time. <laughs> the official Official tasting. Yeah, because we've been sipping. There's we've no been denying sipping, that. So it's nice. It is. So it's kind of like a pale yellow with with some green in it. Very clear wine. Mm -hmm. And then we take a big old whiff. Mm. Fruity. Yeah. Super fruity. Citrus. Citrus lemongrass. Florals. Lemon, yes, lemongrass. Your go-to. I love I it. Love, I love I smell it. lemongrass in everything. I might be wrong half the time, but I swear I smell it in everything. <laughs> <laughs> If you say it with confidence, you can never That's be wrong. Rich. That's true. <laughs> That's my go-to move. Yeah. Citrus, definitely. Like lemon, like yellow fruit, yellow apple. But yeah. No, amazing nose. Very light, but delicious. Very fresh. And then we sip it. Yeah, it's a dry wine. Like light to medium body. You know, like apple, some more citrus. Maybe like a pear. Mm-hmm. It's like medium acidity. That's a medium. So that's a medium acidity. I think. Well, the trick. I'm always. This is this is a gross trick, but it works. But it's gross. So you like take a sip and you swallow it, and then you open your mouth. And if the saliva rushes out, it's high acidity. If it takes a second, it's like medium. And yeah, it's really weird, but that's how I do it. See. Okay. It works. And if it just stays there and then finally drips out, then it's lowest. <laughs> okay. But it's funny. I'm always, it's a yeah. funny trick. That's good. You look really stupid when you do it at a party, but it's it works. <laughs> you can get away so much though at a wine tasting. Like they don't oh, know what tasting you're up to. for sure. But if you're at a, a normal person oh, party, yeah. you normal look like an party, idiot. Yeah, they're gonna be like, "This girl gotta go home. <laughs> she gotta go home. She's had too much wine." Yeah, exactly. It's like, ah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, well, I I really like this. I nice. could picture myself drinking this outside mm -hmm. on a very sunny day on the East Portico. Mm -hmm. Yes. Enjoying, yeah. you know, the summer. Definitely. And I would I would pair this with like octopus or fried calamari mm -hmm. or like grilled chicken or sea bass. Like lots of like Mediterranean. Yeah, Mediterranean yeah. diet kind of food. Yeah. On absolutely. my yacht in San Tropez, obviously. <laughs> 
There you go. You're manifesting. You're manifesting. I'm manifesting this for the future. <laughs> um, and this wine is a great value. You could find it online between $25 to $30. And it's it's certified by all of us right now. Yep. Yeah. Enjoying it. Yep. And my, my favorite awesome. my favorite rating is if you show up to someone's house with it, would it be popular? <laughs> then if yes, then it's it's got my stamp of no. approval. I think this is a yes. I think it's a yes. It's a definite <laughs> yes. <laughs> But thank you, Franklin, again you. so much for sitting with us thank and you, sipping guys. with us. We really appreciate no, my it. My pleasure. Such um, a pleasure. We'll have you on again and we'll give you the, the, the privilege and honor of choosing I, the book. Yes. I, I look forward Maybe to Maybe even the wine if we're feeling generous. Ooh. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, your favorite shop closed. Lu no. Lucio. Oh, Lucio. I feel yeah. so bad. Do you have a yeah, new favorite he moved, shop? He moved uh, back to Spain. Oh. Yeah. I'll have to go visit him. Yeah, yeah, the, the economy of things. Yeah. With well, it was also like the pandemic when he yeah, opened. Yeah, it was hard. But um, where do I go? You know where I go. Uh, I don't. Where? I'm in, which a, one? I'm in the wine club now. <laughs> oh, fun. Which is why I'm trying to understand how you speak because I still can't. I can read and I can get lots of things from content and be like, it's from here and there's a history to here and even yeah. some of the relationship to... Um, the earth and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but it's a lot of practice, a lot of sniffing fruit randomly at the grocery store. Um, a lot just of, to keep your to keep the sharp. yeah to remember because I mean, growing up in Miami, like I don't know what a fucking gooseberry is. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know what like certain right. things are. Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't. I I could call out a Sauvignon Blanc in no time between the guava and the like right. all of the tropical fruit flavors, but right. then I'm like. I don't know what any or whatever random. Yeah. I don't eat licorice. I well, hate I mean, licorice. Like, I, I say this all the time. It's really cheesy, but like I didn't know anything about wine, and everything I've learned about wine I've learned from Alexa, and it's because it's just been like, how do we steer you in the direction of figuring out what you like, mm -hmm. and then branching yeah. out from there, mm -hmm. and then it becomes so much easier. It doesn't have to it's feel like, like this intense. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't have to feel scary yeah. or intimidating. It's supposed to be an adventure. Yeah. You make of it what you want. Yeah. Now that's I know what it. kind of wine I like. Now that's we know it. what kind of art now we like. Now we can right? order a menu. That's, menu. That's it. That's the win. The fact that I can take a wine list and I can pick something and relatively know what's going on, mm. that's a big win. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of tasting. You yeah, have to taste a lot of different wines. I, I see you. And that, that definitely <laughs> no helps. Complaints, no complaints. No complaints. No. No. Complaints. no. Yeah. no one. No but one sheds a tear for me when I'm drinking like ten rieslings on a Sunday morning, tasting them all <laughs> spitting, and I'm like, my teeth feel like the enamel's coming off. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. But this oh is good. Gosh, Thank nice. you so much, Ray, for sending this to us. Yeah. We love yeah it. Shout out to Ray. Yeah. For gifting us this amazing bottle. Yeah. We're eternally grateful. We are. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. So, as always, follow us on uh, your podcast platform. Leave us a review. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Pouring Over Pages Podcast. Go on our Etsy shop. We have merch. Lots of cool, cool, cute merch. Make sure you go there and sign up for our newsletter to be the first one to hear about all things Pop Pod. So. Thank you so much, and we will pop bottles and read novels soon. Soon. Cheers. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs>